You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Good morning, church. I am reading our teaching text for this morning, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. You can read along on the screen or in your personal screen. Um, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Uh, I have a teaching partner today. If you're unfamiliar, this is our executive. You can give it up. This is our executive director, Meg Jacobs, <laughs> making her Hi. teaching debut. Uh, you can save the wow till later. We'll decide. <laughs> uh, if you are new or unfamiliar, I'm Patrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Oaks, and we are in this teaching series, The Good Way, uh, which is really, if you want to know who we are as a people, well, these next remaining six weeks and the three weeks previous to this are going to tell you all that you need to know about that, because what The Good Way is, is an encapsulation of our rule of life. If you want to know what rule of life is, it is an ancient, orthodox way <clears throat> of ordering and structuring your life with intention to find intimacy and thereby uh, sanctification in Jesus. And so we have eight intentions as a community, and these eight intentions are defined by practices that place us in intimacy with the Father who creates a holy standard by which all things are made true and known. The Son, which reveals not only the standard, but what it looks like in the fullness of humanity. And then the spirit, which leads us into the marriage of the divinity and humanity and guides us in the way that we should go. And so we carry these practices uh, of the eight good way. You can see them up here on the screen. Uh, we've been going through them. Uh, last, we started off with prayer. And we, then we moved into Sabbath. And what you will find, if you were here last week, as Ryan talked about Sabbath, he talked about kind of a shift that in prayer and in the Sabbath, you will find an a orientation of, of, a, of a vertical orientation. How do we stay in intimacy with the Father? How do we stay in intimacy with the Son and the Spirit? But then also now we're starting to make this transition into how do we get in good relationship with one another? And the hinge point of that is today. We are talking about a life marked by simplicity and generosity. Now, these, if you'll notice, these eight uh, intentions and practices, these are progressive. They, they really start to build on each other. And so when we think about simplicity, the question becomes, well, why that and why after Sabbath? Well, our dear former pastor, Jim Ryan, said that simplicity is a gentle invitation to look at the clutter of our lives and our schedules, our homes, our relationships, and to intentionally prune back anything that is keeping us from the abundant life that God invites us to live. Now, 
uh, our teaching text really exemplifies this. Uh, we were in First Timothy for our teaching text. If you know anything about First Timothy, it was a letter written by Paul to his mentor, Timothy. And some years before, Paul had sent Timothy to a church in Ephesus. And this was a, was a thriving church. Ephesus was... It was a really a, a, a predominant city in the ancient world. And under the Roman Empire, Ephesus served as the seat of the Asian province. It's where the governor of all of Asia stood. It would be the, the D.C. Of our, of, of, for comparison. And so it was a city of power, but it was also a city of tremendous wealth. And so in this place and in this church, these people had started to, to bicker and there had started to be a rise of false teachers who started to share heretical things about the nature of Jesus, his sacrifice, and what it meant to follow in the way of Jesus. And so Paul sent, sent Timothy to Ephesus to get things right. And as Timothy is there, Paul writes him this letter because he wants to guide his mentor, his mentee, into the way of which he can lead this church forward. So he writes this letter to Timothy, and at the end of this letter about everything that they need to know to live in the Christian life, this is what Paul writes again. Chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. Paul says, if you get nothing, this is literally the last instructions of his letter to Timothy. If you teach these people nothing, teach them that they cannot find security in their wealth. But the purpose of life is to depend on God that they have to get into their bones. Now, again, if you were here last week when, when Ryan talked about Sabbath, that essentially is the core of Sabbath. When we Sabbath, we are intentionally removing ourselves from productivity to remind ourselves that without God, we have and do nothing. All our work is just simple striving. And so when we talk about simplicity, what we're really talking about is a daily Sabbath orientation. I keep a rhythm of Sabbath, and yet as I go into work, how do I keep the orientation of Sabbath? Well, we start to live simply, or said another way, simplicity as a daily Sabbath orientation is the way in which we rhythmically remind ourselves what we truly need in life is a relationship with a God who richly provides all we need. If my production doesn't depend on me, if he makes me truly productive, and yet my production is what provides my wealth, well then it would follow that he is also my wealth. And so then if he is my wealth, then what do I truly need? I am truly rich. So then we are able to live simple lives. But simplicity rises the rails of two questions. Do I trust that God is good? And do I trust that he loves me and will provide for my needs? Now, if the answer is yes, if the answer is yes to this question, that means we can be free from the need to hoard, a hoard for our compulsion, our desire, our safety, or our security. Those are oftentimes the reason why we live such unsimple lives. 
lives of clutter because we are trying to grasp all that we can for our provision or for our pleasure or for our security. But if we have all that in Jesus, then we become free to be simple people. And this in turn, lives anchored in simplicity, I think that leads us to be a generous people. But I think that begs the question then, okay, I get you on simplicity, but what does generosity look like? And so I get to do this as one of the most generous people I know, uh, Meg Jacobs. So Meg, what does generosity look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Patrick. Thank you. Um, and just so you, I, I will be looking at this a lot more. I, I wasn't, I should have made it in musical form. I would have been able to do that much better. Um, but thanks for asking. Um, so when I think about generosity, my mind turns to gleaning the fields. And even though I am from Ohio, I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs, and the only thing I've done farming-wise is apple picking. But gleaning, I learned about is Levitical law. So when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So while this is in Leviticus, we also find gleaning in action in the book of Ruth. So Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Elimelech. Is that correct? Okay. From the tribe of Ephraim. Originally from Bethlehem, he and his wife Naomi have to travel to Moab due to famine in the land. And he has two sons, and they marry two Moab women, one of them being Ruth. But then he dies, and his two sons die, and Naomi is left with her daughter-in-laws. And as she releases them to go home to their families, Ruth won't go. And she proclaims, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my pe people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So because Naomi had heard the Lord had come to aid to his people by providing food, the two women go back to Bethlehem, and this is where the gleaning happens. Naomi does have relatives through her husband in Bethlehem, but before she can even reach them, Ruth heads into a field and asks the owner if she can glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. When the owner comes, he sees how hard she's working and makes inquiries about who she is. Realizing this is a relative of Naomi, he tells her he has heard of her kindness towards her mother-in-law and blesses her. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He even tells his men to guard, and offer, guard her and offer her more than just what she can gather, but full stocks. And the man turns out to be Boaz, Naomi's relative, and the son of Rahab. So I might be thinking, okay, that sounds great. Um, but what does that have to do with us here in Brooklyn in 2023? And what about generosity? So stay with me. So to put this in a Brooklyn story, imagine you have a garden in your backyard. I don't think it's a Brooklyn story. <laughs> Some people have backyard. I've seen gardens. Who has a garden in their backyard? I, had, I see hands. A I see Westchester hands. sword. And so, or it could be, maybe it's the lot next door to you. Maybe it's a public garden, okay? And so if you have this garden, you are planting because you want to get back to your roots and back to simpler times. And so because it's your garden, you're able to plant right to the edges. And when you harvest, you can have every right to harvest right up to the edges. But you're just one person living in an apartment by yourself. You don't need all of that. 
but you do know that there's a single parent and a widow in, in your floor, and they probably could benefit from this generosity. So you leave a margin, and you let them pick from that and harvest when, they, when anything's ready. That is benefiting from your generosity, and that's how others can glean from when you provide margin. If we make more than we need, capitalism tells us that we've won and we should spend it on ourselves. But in God's economy, that money's never ours to begin with. It's always been God's, and he's giving it us to steward. So when you think of your field or your garden, do you even know how much you need? Are you allowing margin to give when those in your community have need? When we talk about margin and generosity, it's around three things. Our resources, our talents, and our time. So what keeps margin, what does keeping margin practically look like in my life? I'm so glad you asked. So when it comes to resources, my husband and I start with just knowing how much we need each month and knowing how much we have left over. It means we're frugal in ways that let us live be below our means. And we listen when people mention they need something in passing and if we can see if we can meet that need. Like when Nick's mom needed foot surgery and we realized that her 70s era bathtub wasn't gonna work with a foot scooter. So we helped her, to help her install a new shower, but it wasn't something we had to like pour over and deliberate. We were able to do it because we knew it was available because we'd been leaving that margin. But margin isn't just financial, it's about time. And Patrick also brought up what Ryan was mentioning, um, our Sabbath. We also mentioned that Sunday's a work day for us. So for th this means I have Friday and Saturday off, and I Sabbath from Friday at 6 p.m. till Saturday at 6 p.m. And Friday is my day to get like everything done. So it's like all the laundry, all the Trader Joe's runs, all the cleaning. But that takes me, if I'm set, like three or four hours, which means I have three or four more hours to just do whatever. And I tried to set that aside just to be generous with my time. And so this past year, there was a family that I knew needed some extra help. And so every week I'd say, hey, do you need me to come over on Friday? And it wasn't every Friday that they needed me, but I know if I hadn't have asked, they wouldn't have said yes. Um, having protected time carved out and ready to be used generously lets me love people well. And by planning out that I'm doing stuff on that Friday and having that carved time, I also know that if someone calls me during the week and they have an emergency, like a babysitter or something like that, um, I can do that and I can jump over and I can help. So besides time, they're also your talents. And I've mentioned families and babysitting a lot because if you don't know, I'm a baby whisperer. It is a talent. I don't know where it came from. It just happened. <laughs> Just, you know, call me. Um, and so, um, but that's just something that, that I have. But what is, everyone has unique talents. So is it that you just have a listening ear? Are you, can you help with organizing? Can you fix cars? They're invaluable in providing for our community. So what's sitting on the edges of your field? Is it all your baby stuff? Because this is your last, and I mean last kid. Is it a family home outside the city for friends to use as a refuge? Is it just two hours to help a family get 10 loads of laundry done? Whatever it is, however using these resources, time and talents for others, and not just yourself, is a huge act of generosity. Okay, I, my wife and I, we try to keep the edges of our field. You're talking about gleaning of the fields, leaving intentionally the edges of my time, talents, and resources for people, which is something that I keep in practice in my life. And what I find is kind of like when uh, Remember when Hamilton tickets used to go on sale and they were immediately gone? I feel like the moment I open up the, my, what's left of my fields and margin, it is immediately gone. Uh, and so how do you have a field left for gleaning in 
a world that's like starving? Another great question. So I just want to give some background about me, too, because Patrick was sharing some of his. So I came into this driving world as a white woman uh, with accumulated wealth, um, generational wealth. And so the reason I was able to even stay in New York after moving here a year and a half uh, in was because my grandmother had left me $20,000 when I was 19. Um, but then two years later, uh, I was a missionary, and I had to literally rely on the money that people gave me to live, and it was not that much money, and my mom helped me a ton. And then I got married, and we made some very poor choices as 20-somethings, as we all do, you know. Um, and we had to educate ourselves about financial health and set up a family budget. And then we're so lucky to have full-time jobs now, but in 2013, I knew I wanted to quit my job and do something else, but I had nothing there available already and so I um, worked retail and I sold yoga pants and then finally when my church was able to hire me part-time uh, I worked there part-time and part-time still sold yoga pants and then I worked full-time for the church for a few more years and then I got let go and so I worked part two part-time jobs for a year um, but during those ups and downs of income and lots of work we always had margin to give something whether to our church or to our family because generosity was so important to us but just because we had margin doesn't mean that we can or should give to everyone that needs our help. Because we live in a starving world where we constantly see need just walking down the street or scrolling on Instagram, this can cause privileged people to either completely shut down because they're totally overwhelmed or think that they should be playing Jesus and that it's their responsibility to save the world. But that's not how we're called to live. We need to be listening to the spirit and who and how we help and we can't do it alone. That's what's so beautiful about community. We don't have to. And so in Acts 4, which if you've ever read Acts, everyone uses as a picture of biblical generosity because it's a really good picture. We see believers working together in community to take care of those around them. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, and they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. When we read this line, what came to mind was, or what I saw was from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. People looked for ways to have margin, like, oh, I'm selling my house or my land, and use that to help people. It doesn't say all the time, because you can't sell your house all the time, and you might not have a house to sell. But community gathered together, giving what they didn't need, to help those who didn't have. And so thinking that my field is a solution to all the problems of Brooklyn is overwhelming and non-communal. But when I think that we, the people of Oaks, all have a field to contribute, that we're a community of fields, I can take a deep breath and know that we're in this together. Whatever margin looks like in our lives, we can use this to help those within this community of Oaks or the communities we're building up with neighbors and coworkers. We've already been doing this through the Deacons Fund, which is a set-aside fund for financial emergencies. I looked back through, because I have all the records, and since 2015, TGC Williamsburg and Oaks have given over $160,000 in Deacons Fund and COVID crisis care, which is pretty exciting. That's amazing. And that's because the people of Oaks have given and were able to give back. And so we're excited to be able to set aside $15,000 this year, our Deacons Fund, to be able to serve those who call Oaks home in our rooted community. So, and our justice funds are available to be for any needs that arise for our church as a whole or to the Brooklyn community. So I've been sharing about ways to make margin coming from a place of abundance, but what about those of us who are on the other side of this? Patrick, 
what if I need to glean? Yeah, I think there's two sides of this. You know, we're talking about practices, and I'm hearing you say, okay, from a place of plenty, you keep a practice of intentionally saving margin in your budget to meet needs, and you're, you know, um, also contributing to the work we do here, and you're also giving your time and talent as a baby whisperer. Uh, she will come watch your kids. I've seen Meg literally open up this place uh, to help moms who had to get to an interview. So this is not a lie. I've seen her do it. Um, yeah, and I, I, I love that you're acknowledging that, but we, some of us aren't in that place. We're not operating from a place of, of, of plenty. And so how do you keep a rhythm of simplicity and generosity and intimacy with Jesus in that when you're operating from a place of lack. Uh, I think where my mind goes to, obviously, is Jesus. Um, I'm contractually obligated to give that answer. Uh, (laughs) uh, But for real, all of these practices are meant to bring us back to Jesus. So when I think about what this looks like in Jesus, I go to John 4. And uh, I'll, just to summarize the story, but the story starts where Jesus is on a walk. It's really hot. Uh, he's been walking for a while. He ends up at this well. John says that it was the noonday uh, and that Jesus was very tired and he meets this woman there. And he asks her a simple question. He says, will you give me a drink? And I, I think that's a really beautiful thing because remember Jesus turned water into wine. I feel like he could have picked up some sand and turned it into Sprite, you know, or like something Gatorade, like all the electrolytes he needed. Um, And yet he asked this woman to get him a glass of water, which was scandalous in and of itself because she was a Sumerian, he was a Jew. That's a whole other sermon. Um, But Jesus asked for what he needed. And I feel like that is a, is a practice of generosity. That's actually, I think, a tougher practice than opening up your pocketbook to give. And it takes something to admit the ways in which we need help. Uh, the practices that I carry in this, asking for what I need, um, one has been my son. I got a, this four-year-old. Um, and I've been intentional about asking him to pray for me. Uh, and so I've, ke- I've kept this practice when I have legitimate boo-boos or worries or anxieties. Uh, I say, James, w- would you pray for that? And, um, and he uh, always accompanies his prayer. Well, sometimes he accompanies them with a kiss, which are so magical. Uh, I really think they're, I, I really think they're, they're uh, miracles. Um, And it's been really beautiful to place myself underneath him, even as his father. Uh, Another practice that comes to mind and asking for what I need is really from a place of confession. So I keep a a rhythm of confession. Um, I have some guys that are, are, that they hold my sin. If you think that like as a pastor, you like lose all sin, um, no. <laughs> uh, if anything, it becomes more insidious and seems more dangerous because, like, some of you actually do think I am without sin. Um, and so I have to keep a practice of confession, which, me, which is me admitting that I have real need, real, that I am, I am desperately poor in my spirit. 
and so uh, I keep that practice and intention. Asking for what I need. I need prayer and I need help. I need support. I need accountability. It's one of the things we do corporately. Uh, if you've heard about the rooted community, it's what we're starting here. But it's what we're doing as the people who, who have committed themselves to the body. They're like the roots. Some of you, this is your first Sunday. You're just passing through. Beautiful. Welcome. Some of you have kind of been around and you're on the edges. Also, great. Glad you're here. Um, but there has to be some people here who say like, we're in it together because this city is really hard. And a part of being in that rooted community is us moving towards becoming a people who provide accountability and support to one another, uh, which means we have to keep intentions of, of sharing with one another our, our needs. And so that's what we're doing and growing into on a corporate level. Kind of coming back to that John 4 story, so... Ironically, Jesus doesn't actually ever get that glass of water. He doesn't ever get the drink of water. Um, because this woman's like shocked that he even asked. And, and then he says to her, essentially like, if you knew who asked you, you would ask him for a drink of water and he would give you, he would have given you living water. So when I think about practices and I think about simplicity and generosity and think about moving from a place of like, I don't have a ton. I do not have, you know, some of us are like paycheck to paycheck or paycheck to two paychecks. You know, like we're, we're just trying to make it do here. And so you can hear about simplicity and generosity, only think in financial terms and not think that you have other things to bring. Jesus did not have the material water, but he had immaterial water. And so that's what he brings to the table and he offers what he has. And turns out what he has is pretty good. There's uh, this, this little verse in Luke where Jesus uh, is, is talking to all these religious people uh, and then he's in the temple and he looks over and he sees all these people coming to pay their like tithes and give to the church and there's these lines of rich people and, and he's great, that, that's great. And there's this, there's this woman and she only has two mites. It's like literally like two pennies is what she's dropping in as her offering. And Jesus says, surely this woman has given more than anyone else in that line. Because while they gave out of their, their plenty, she is giving out of her poverty. And so, yes, if we're rich, like, great. Like, it, it, it's, it, it, it's great that we also, we also have a responsibility to give and maybe to give until it hurts, uh, I would suggest but also in our poverty, how do we come and we keep rhythms of intention to bring what we can and to realize that what we can, what we do have to bring uh, may in the end be even more uh, than what we could have done if we had all the money in the world. Uh, I was trying to think, the, the one practice that I have that, that fits into this, because again, I do currently operate from a life of, of privilege and plenty, um, is that one thing that I am very poor on is time. Uh, apart from pastoring this church and, and, and uh, my role as a husband and a, and a, and a father, uh, I'm a full-time grad student. And so like time is just like super short. <laughs> uh, it, it, we're, we're managing down to the minutes these days. Uh, 
And which means, like, as a pastor, I don't really get to, like, get the touch points that I would like with everyone here. And some of you are probably on the, the hurtful end of that, or it's probably been <laughs> more than enough time has passed since I've circled, been able to circle back on that thing we've talked about already. And so from that place, uh, I don't have a ton of time to offer, but what I do is I, I keep an app. Uh, it's, a, it's called Echo. It's, it's just a prayer app. But literally, I keep all the, the prayers that make my way that, to me. So if we've talked, uh, if you've submitted something, uh, it ends up somewhere in this app. And you can see there's, there's quite a bit of uh, and so what I can offer is prayer. I, I pray for you all quite regularly. Uh, and, I, and what I can do is in the time that I'm moving towards something, I can open that app and I can pray for, the, pray for the needs that I may not have been able to sit with or sit through. And that's what I can offer. And honestly, uh, turning over your issues to the Lord is probably going to do way more than I can do for you, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so I, I look at it as that widow with her two mites, uh, giving what you have, but giving it faithfully and uh, with everything. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about that, coming back to that John 4 verse, is that when we live from a place of simplicity and generosity, it's going to do two things. I think one, one, it allows us to bring life into others, to perpetuate life in this world. And two, I think it moves us into the plans of God. So they have this whole conversation, can you draw me a drink of water? I can give you living water. They have this whole interaction where Jesus gives her what he has, which is his, his attention. He sees her, a woman who is, is drawing water in the noonday because of the life that she's lived has made her a, a, an outcast. And yet Jesus, the, the Lord of the world, takes the time to see and to notice her. So she goes back, tells everyone she knows, and they all run out to be known by Jesus too. And so the scriptures say that this whole village becomes followers of Jesus and walking in the way they find living water because, because of this whole interaction. And that I find uh, really beautiful, that what we bring, whatever it is, when we live simply and we live generously, it will allow life to flourish. Uh, last point, I think, is just even the story that Meg told about uh, Ruth uh, and this whole thing of gleaning the field. So Ruth is from a place of, of lack. She's in this field because she's a widow and she's poor. Boaz, who has plenty, leaves the field. They end up getting married. But I love that if you don't know the story, Ruth and Boaz have a child named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son you may have heard of named David. He, he like killed a giant. Um, and so by this gleaning of the, the gleaning in the fields, by, making him, by Boaz making himself available, living with an open hand, by Ruth living in faithfulness to the Lord and, and just offering and asking for what she needed, they both move into the lineage of Jesus. So when we carry an intention of simplicity and generosity and practices, I think we will find something of the same. So, yeah, I think with that, there's been a couple of invitations we just wanted to offer.
Yeah, and band, you can come on up. Um, one is just to be praying about what, what season you're in. Are you this person who needs to be gleaning and who needs to ask for help or needs, and needs to step in? Um, or are you the person that actually needs to be creating the margin um, because you are living out of abundance? And so just to be praying through just where are you and praying for our community as a whole that we can acknowledge this, that we can be these people who are stepping into the field to glean, but also we are the field, the community there to do that. And then the second thing is if you're someone who's thinking, oh my gosh, I really want to be able to process and figure out like, what is the measure of my field? And like, what are my, what, how can I use my time and my talents and my resources? Um, we're gonna have a class for that. And I would love to, if you're interested in that, to sign up and talk to me afterwards. And um, we'll set up a date and time. And we're gonna move through a lot of things of generosity throughout the year. And so this will be the, the one where we're thinking through what does that even look like for us as a community? And then we'll talk even next time like about budgeting. But any interest you have in that, we would love for you to come and sign up and get you in that class. Cool. So why don't we do this? Why don't we have our prayer team come forward? And why don't you guys stand? We believe in this community that revelation precedes action. So before you just like kind of jump in and start busying yourselves with the work of simplifying and generosity, I would really encourage you to first just spend time before the Lord before the Spirit of God and asking what does simplicity and generosity look like in my life? What are the invitations you are offering for me? And there are gonna be people up here who would love to just pray with you through that. And you can start moving, you don't have to wait. And then if you're interested in that course, Meg's gonna be in the connect corner after the service and you can grab her and she'll get you all signed up on the info list. And so while we come forward in prayer and while we give ourselves to worship, um, I'm gonna come back in a few seconds and call us to the table. But for now, would you come and respond and receive prayer? And I will begin us with this. Lord Jesus, we come thankful that you say, these are the sacrifices, the offerings that you love, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. They are simple things where we just bring our true selves and we lay them before you with open hands. So help us consider now our lives. What is the measure of our fields? And how have you richly blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others? In your name we pray, amen. So come receive prayer and in a moment we will make our way to the table.